Eric, what are you doing? Shh. Hold on. I'm almost done. Hold, no, hold on what? Like, what, what? I'm trying to finish this episode. Do you mind? Look, Jeremy's going to be here in like two minutes, dude. There's not that much left, okay? I, I just need to finish this episode. All right. What are you watching? Star Trek. Oh, okay. Like, original series, TNG. TNG, obviously. Wait, why are your eyes closed? Because I'm watching Star Trek. I already explained this. There's no TV in here. I don't get it. I'm missing this really good bit with Guinan right now. You know, okay. Well, then hit the pause button. All right. I know every episode of Star Trek. Everything. Every moment. I can close my eyes and I can replay every episode of Star Trek in my mind. I'm going to finish this episode before Jeremy gets here and then we, we can record. Oh, hey, Jeremy. Hey, hey, Brian. Hey, Eric. What's, what's Eric doing? Um, apparently he's watching Star Trek. Oh, okay. What, which episode? Uh, apparently it's Time Zero. Oh, Eric, do you mind if I join you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a couple of seconds left. We're almost at the credits, but go ahead. Oh, all right. I like this one. Oh, there's the credits. Oh, I forgot Mark Alamo was in this one. Yeah, 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 I know, yeah. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. Mr. Moriarty, how are you? I am fantastic. That's good. And I'm also exhausted. I think I probably have you beat. Yeah. Well, I know you got Kiss Me Kate going on, but yes. I have three kids. There's actually a song in Kiss Me Kate where we, it's called Kiss Me Kate. And literally, it, Shocking. It, at the end, it's it's we as the cast are getting uh, annoyed and we say, kiss some Kate, kiss some Kate, kiss some Kate, kiss some Kate, kiss. And then it's all it is is just us getting really annoyed that something isn't happening on stage. I kind of feel like that right now. <laughs> I, I love the show. And I love the cast I'm with. I want the show to be open already so that we don't have to spend till 10 o'clock at night every night rehearsing it, pretty much. I'm here tonight because through some odd restriction, the theater we're performing in mm. has their city council meetings from the city that they're in, in there. So we can't rehearse tonight. That's why we're doing it tonight versus our normal night. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a song that plays in my life uh, that I heard today all day long, which is titled... I'm so I'm fancy. Sorry. No, no. Thanks. <laughs> so, sorry. I'm sorry. I have to uh, give you inoculations. Uh, please stop crying. Please stop crying. Please stop crying. And of course, I'm referring to the six month old checkup that Amelia went to today. And uh, the song is great, though, if you're not familiar with it. If you're a parent, you've probably heard it several times. It starts with, <laughs> and that continues throughout most of the day. It lasts for about 12 hours. And then it finishes with, <laughs> And then the sound of snoring. I hear it's very. I hear it's very popular amongst the progressive thrash metal. Oh yeah, crowd of music. Oh, absolutely. That and six month olds. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the only two. Makes uh, sense. It's a natural. Yeah, the natural correlation. Um, but you know, let's we digress. Let's uh, move on to the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, topic. let us please. <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've stated many times before that this podcast is very aptly named, and it is nerds on history for for good reason. Uh, agreed, agreed. And, and one, if there's one thing that is so iconically nerdy, something that I have represented on this show many times and with many proud moments, uh, I believe that has to be Star Trek. Oh, I thought we were going to say pocket protectors. That's next week, Brian. Focus. God damn it. Focus. I'm, I'm not prepared. I'm not. <laughs> 
I'm you know kidding. what? That's okay. I'm kidding. Um, we have an it, expert, in fact. No, so it doesn't matter that it, you're not prepared. We have somebody else here. <laughs> Thank you for invalidating the hours of research <laughs> I did to support this episode. Um, no, I'm, I am a Star Trek fan. I wouldn't call myself a Trekkie. I wouldn't call you either. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> I love you for it. So it's yeah, okay. I'm a Trekoid. Maybe is it another way of saying it? I'm. A, I'm not quite a Trekkie. You're a cadet. I'm a cadet. Let's just call you. What I'm you are. familiar. You're I'm a familiar enthusiast. Yeah. of the Trek universe. Fair enough. So, um, but we have another person here who is equally as astute in Star Trek as Mr. Brickmont is. Which, just you saying that is a huge compliment to me, by the way. Thank you very much. Well, you've seen every single episode of Star Trek. I think that qualifies you. Multiple times. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like, you have to qualify it and say, multiple times, Ryan. Yeah. Let's make sure that's clear. <laughs> um, in fact, such uh, a Star Trek geek, and we say geek with the badge of honor, uh, that he's wearing a red shirt right now that says Expendable on it. So I, uh, I love it. Gotta represent and uh, he is also no stranger to podcasting. He was also featured on the No Format podcast mm-hmm. about two years ago. So uh, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Jeremy Commandor. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you for making it to our studio tonight. We really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be here in the Nerd Cave. So before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the topic, tell us, just so we know, what is your story with Star Trek? How did you fall in love with it? What gave you your obsession with the uh, yeah, Enterprise? Sure. So uh, my Boy Scout troop, uh, the Star Trek trading card game came out. And guys in my Boy Scout troop started picking it and playing this game. It's a game like Magic the Gathering, but with Star Trek characters. And so I got into the card game, and I was playing the card game because I really liked it. It was a very interesting game. It was a wide open world. You could do anything you can dream up in this game. And the, the rules were very wide open, which was both good and bad. But it was a very interesting game. And so I started watching TNG, which was on TV at that time, because I liked the card game. The Next Generation, for those who are maybe not Star Trek fans. Right. I'd seen a few episodes of Next Generation. I wasn't a big Star Trek fan, but I was like, oh, these cards are cool. I want to see what you know could be on future cards. And so for that reason, I started watching the show more closely. And then I watched all of Star Trek Next Generation. And then I watched GS9. And then I, uh, I watched Voyager, and then I kind of lost interest in Star Trek. Because uh, Voyager kind of it was so disappointing for me that I, I, I lost <laughs> my uh, my faith in Star Trek there. And then for several years, I, I ignored it. Yeah, it's good many people, yeah. And then I heard in like, it's like, oh, this, it's the fourth season of Enterprise. It's really good. And I, and I was really like reading this online and hearing from TV critics. It was really good. And I was like, ah, I haven't seen Star Trek in years. I guess I'll give it a try. And so I tuned into some of those episodes, and they were really good. And that kind of reactivated my uh, fandom in Star Trek. Okay. Interesting. Very good. So we're in all that Trek journey, and that Trek, if you will. Uh, did you encounter the original series? So the original series, I had I had watched... I'd seen like maybe a few original series episodes here and there, but not until I'd already seen TNG and DS9 did I really go back and rewatch the original series. And, and I don't know if I had watched all of it, until they re-released it in high def with the effects. And I thought, I don't know, I may have missed some episodes. I'm going to go through and watch them all again with the, the cleanup. And so I watched all three of them again, and, and uh, I found them very interesting. And eventually the movies featuring, of course, the original series. The movies I had seen, uh, because they were coming out at the same time that TNG was on the air. So oh, okay. I, went, I went and saw a bunch of the movies. And sure. the, movies, the movies I had, I had seen, uh, I just hadn't watched all the original series episodes. And I probably watched a lot of them, just not all of them. So, and, and then I should say that uh, another thing that, that kind of deepened my Star Trek fandom is af- after that, I got to work on that Star Trek trading card game. 
I got hired as like a developer for the company. I did like contract work for them working on the game. Then I got to work on one, two, three, four more Star Trek card games or board games. Many of which we have played together. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) And as a part of that, I had to do a whole bunch of research and look things up. And so then that got me uh, more and more into into Star Trek. That's right. I forgot to mention that uh, we, you are the sponsor or one of the, the people who were sponsoring Protospiel, we were uh, yeah, which we add we posted for which General we Patton promoted was, on this yeah yeah General Patton was kind enough to come in <laughs> exactly and, we had we had the ads run on our show for that yeah and and I really like Star Trek as compared to other st- sci-fi properties because almost every sci-fi property you look at and we look at the the recent ones that have come out the last few years the the Giver Divergent you know all the young adult ones Hunger yeah. Games they're all a dystopian future. In the future, the world is worse. The world is a horrible place. You know, something terrible, an ecological disaster, a nuclear war has happened. And only in, in Gene Roddenberry's future is the future a better place. Right. Humanity is better. They, they're quite, they're looking for more knowledge and to better themselves. And that's that's very unique. At least for humans. Well, interestingly enough, though, I mean, to be totally fair, if we're following the mythology that was established in First Contact... We do have to acknowledge there was a dark period, but we surpassed it. Right, we got, right. We, we got through it, and now we're and then you're living in a utopian piece. So it does acknowledge a potential dystopian future, but then but that we we persevere through it. Right, exactly. Which I really like yeah. because almost no one else does that. Right. Star Wars is very optimistic, but Star Wars is in the past. Right. You know, it's, it's a long, long, long time, time ago. ago. Yeah, the galaxy and far away. By the way, everybody, almost every other future is this dark world. And Star Trek is the only one that gives you a hope for the future, and that's why yeah. it's inspired so many yeah. people. Well, I mean, we talked about this in our kind of our episodes on our two-parter on sci-fi too. Yeah. Is that really we have a large part of that due to George Orwell and 1984, and uh, just that this that idea of you know is technology a good thing? Are the things that we are doing through science are they in fact ethical? That effectively is the uh, the central question of most sci-fi, right? Is the ethics behind And let's behind keep in that. mind, now that we have things like the internet, so we can pretty much have everything that's happening around the world brought to us at any given moment, we're realizing there's lots of bad things going on all the time. So it's hard for us to imagine positive futures when we're constantly inundated with negative things happening around us. But somebody like Roddenberry has this idea that says, well, okay, yeah, those negative things are, are still going to happen, but we as humanity can overcome them on our planet. We can band together and we can go out there and we can try to make a difference on a bigger scale. And what he's really saying is that you as Star Trek fans who are watching this, who maybe align with these characters, can go out and make a difference in your universe, right? Your own world and try to make a difference and bring that utopia into light. That's how I choose to interpret it. Whether Roddenberry ever said those words or not, he probably didn't. But that's my interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think the philosophy behind Roddenberry was that he uses the medium of of these intergalactic space explorers to combat major philosophical and ethical questions. And certainly the writers who have written for the show since then have followed that same kind of uh, mindset. Yeah, you're going through. It. I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, in a way, because what we're talking about tonight, obviously, because this is a history podcast, there's one overline theme that every single series of Star Trek on television and also in the movies has explored, and that, of course, is the concept and idea of time travel, and maybe not necessarily time travel by itself, but also an episode taking place in uh, in the guise of a different time. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight, is those episodes, the time period that they take place in, and a little bit of history behind those times as well. 
Uh, so I think I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with uh, our first episode tonight. And we've decided beforehand, by we I mean uh, Jeremy and I, the only uh, official Trekkies in the room here. Oh, thank uh, you. Uh, no Apparently that, that all of my decision-making capabilities have been robbed for Only me. for tonight. Only for tonight. When okay. we get to the, back to listener feedback, it all comes back to you. So Trek is my podcast kryptonite, apparently. Essentially, yes. Okay. But cool. you can overcome it. I believe no. in you. I believe in you. I'm really just giving you a hard time. I'm sorry, okay. buddy. <laughs> Proceed. Proceed. Uh, we decided mm. let's approach this chronologically from the standpoint of the series themselves and when they came out. So, of course, we're going to so start we're gonna with the, the chronology series. of essentially of Trek. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to start with the original series and we're going to talk about The City on the Edge of Forever, one of the most iconic, well-rated, best episodes, in my opinion, of, of all of Star Trek. It's a pretty damn good episode, I gotta say. And ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't watched any of these episodes we're going to talk about tonight, uh, stop when you hear which episode we're talking about yeah. at the moment, go watch it and come back. Sure. Because there will be spoilers. I mean, even Shatner uh, was great in that episode. And I know Shatner had those moments in the early series where he was awesome, where he was also, wow, we understand why we have those <laughs> that stereotype of Shatner's performing style, you know, where everything is so important. <laughs> Sitting on the Edge of the Forever is, is considered one of the best... TOS episodes or original series episodes of all time. It's it's consistently rated at the very top. Uh, I was just reading an article the other day. Uh, I think I emailed you guys and it said the you know, the, the five best episodes to watch if you're not a Star Trek fan. Right. And it was spanning all the shows. And City of the Edge Forever was in that like that top five. Yeah. It, and so it's it's a very accessible, very good episode. And I think the time travel element of it really aids in that because yes. it gives you something that you can relate to. It gives you something that's not so far-fetched, not so deeply ingrained within the show's mythos. It has something to do with our actual history. So you can you can connect with it. And just to give a general idea of how this episode begins, um, it, it's all screwed up by turbulence, ladies and gentlemen. Space turbulence. That's what causes the, all these problems to begin with. There's always some inciting incident that has nothing to do with the crew. It's either a temporal rift or turbulence yeah, or yeah. some temporal shift. Somehow the inertial dampeners failed at just the right moment. <laughs> it's that, a space speed bump. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that Bones was able to accidentally inject himself uh, with Cordrazine and cause himself to go into a... Uh, a, a psychotic rage, if you will, and he loses his mind, and he ends up transporting down to the planet that they are uh, they're orbiting around. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, all while the away team is already down there doing their science, encountering uh, the Guardian, who is this uh, not quite machine, not quite living being, but very something godlike being in a way. Yeah, he looks like a giant Aniba, kind the of. Guardian of Forever, the Guardian of Forever. Exactly, it's got a good title. He does have a good name, regardless of what he is. His title really makes up who he is. He's essentially a Stargate. Let's just be real here. Whoa. He is, he is. He is whoa, kind of like a Stargate. Whoa, well, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, I take issues with that. pretty close. <laughs> he is kind of close to that, I guess. If you see a Stargate, you get the general idea. He, in appearance, yes. He's a little more organic than that. He's right? a little more misty than yeah, he is yeah, yeah, watery. Kind of yeah, and, and he is a rock formation that happens yeah, to have a giant hole in it yeah, right, that you can walk yeah. through. So, yes, it is... <laughs> But kind of looks like a cheese Danish, ladies and gentlemen, just to kind of put it in perspective for you. Uh, But regardless, Spock is, of course, you know, discovering very quickly that this guy is capable of sending anyone they want to anywhere in time they want to go. And uh, he is more or less proving this by, you know, going through their history, going through human history and showing them little glimpses of it. Uh, Of course, right at the moment when Bones goes nuts and then jumps through it. 
Uh, thankfully, Spock has his track tricorder out, so he's able to more or less dial it back uh, to where he uh, where he jumps into time. Oh, thank God! Yeah. Oh, thank God! And uh, Spock and Kirk have to go back to to save the the future because they quickly realize that the Enterprise is gone now. The Federation is gone. Something has happened. Something happened that pretty much threw history out of whack to the point where Starfleet was never created. Basically. Exactly. So they got to go back in time and fix everything. And where do they end up, ladies and gentlemen? The Great Depression. The Great Depression. <clears throat> 1930s awesome. America. They don't, I don't know if they specified what part of America they were in. New York City. New York City, thank you. And New York I, City. I don't think there's... Is there a year given or just, just kind of like... That I think time it's just like 1930, 1931. Yeah, it's just, yeah. just pre-World War II. All yeah. we know is it's... Yeah, it's, it's before the outbreak of the war. I think eventually, uh, it, whether it was mentioned in the episode or not, but it was in the script, I think 19... Maybe it was 1933. I, I don't remember if I remember yeah. reading that anywhere, but maybe that was one of the revised scripts that never I will happened. say... Right off the bat, from just a production value standpoint, I was a little thrown off because the cars that you see driving down the street in the city that they were in didn't look like they were from the 30s. They looked like they were from the really early 20th century, like potentially late teens, early 20s. Yeah, but, you know, it's still the 1930s. So somebody bought a car 15 years earlier. They're just driving it around. It's plausible, yes, but it just yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't... Cars are expensive. Yes. You know, people are fixing up old cars and driving around. They're not, not going to get... People are converting cars to kerosene because it was cheaper to... My to, grandfather did that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. He had two fuel lines, one for gas, one for kerosene. He ran the kerosene underneath the, the manifold to heat it up after driving the car for about a mile on gasoline, and then he switched over to the kerosene. He was essentially <laughs> driving around a bomb. Wow. Yeah, well, it's very yeah. dangerous, but it was it was cheaper. Yeah. And so, they, yeah, that was that was a popular thing. You could convert your car to kerosene. Now, if you had gone back in time <laughs> and designed that more poorly, I may not exist. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, they end up back there in New York City. And, you know, the original series has a habit of doing this, of ending up... Uh, on w- pretty much whatever set Paramount had available for them at the moment, whether that was the Old West or ancient Rome. we got this um, great New York City set. You know, yeah. it's really good. And it's funny because they didn't all do time travel episodes to, to do that. They had these, you know, you know, you know uh, worlds that were uh, parallel developments. Oh, they just happened to develop exactly like the Old West frontier. Or, the, uh, or there was the Greek gods episode. Remember yeah, that yeah. one? Right. Or, or the one Jeremy and I were talking about before we started recording, which is the one of the the mob bosses. Yeah, the, 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 the entire planet. planet. Yeah. That was such a great episode. Oh there was the God. Romans planet, right? And then the Roman like centurions and the circus. Yeah. There was the Nazi planet, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So, anyhow. Are, are, these, are these planets still considered canon? In they the, are. Yeah, absolutely yeah. considered canon that no one has ever revisited. <laughs> and I wonder why. Rightfully so. You know, they don't always have the same reason for existing. They come up with different reasons why they exist. And so there, there's some creative justification for why they exist. Yeah. But this is one of those examples where they actually just use time travel to explain why they're on this Great Depression looking set. Um, and while they're there, they quickly realize that Bones it hasn't arrived yet. He's not there. They must have missed him by a certain amount of time. So they got to find some way to fit in before Bones ends up arriving. Um and so they end up taking on some odd jobs at what essentially is like a like a halfway house. Like these, you know, folks who are down on their luck. It's a Great Depression. That happens all the time. And this is real. I mean, this is this is a real example of what people were doing at that time uh, who needed that help. And there were some kind souls like the character of Edith in this episode uh, who was taking people in and, and giving them something to do. Uh, and also trying to lead about change, right? Talking about... 
uh, that you know, hope is coming, that man will be able to do things we've never been able to do before. Exactly. And she, of course, dreams <clears throat> about space and sending people right. into space and all of that. And, and it sounds great uh, until they realize that that is what brings about a Nazi-controlled uh, America. That, that she becomes this pacifist leader right. in the future. And as a result, she delays America's entry into the Second World War, and Hitler wins. And America uh, is under fascist rule from that point forward. Which is interesting because at that time, um, you know, the, by that time I mean the 1960s when this was being made, there was a lot of alternate reality uh, science fiction that was coming out. Sure. A lot of authors who were imagining these parallel worlds, that, these what-if situations. Uh, so there's, it's kind of cool to have that theme tie into the show as well. Uh, it aired in 67 is when that originally aired. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Spock repairs the tricorder and they right. look at the alternate history. They see where it diverge. And Edith leads this peace movement that convinces FDR to delay entry into the war. And so as, as a result, the Nazis have more time and they develop the nuclear bomb. That's right. They have the atom and, bomb. And yeah. win the war. And so now so Spock and, and, and Kirk realize that the only way history can be righted is if Edith dies. In the original timeline, she's dead and, and she doesn't lead this peace movement. Because she gets hit by a car. Or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and somehow yeah. McCoy coming back altered that, saved her life, and thus destroyed the future. Exactly. Until they recreate that situation at the very end. Yes. And she ends up dying. And Kirk has to make the the almost impossible decision to do what happens. I mean, right. do we want to spoil it? Do we, Or do we want to... Yeah, we're going to spoil it. Okay. You know, because so it's important Kirk to understand this episode. McCoy, he holds Bones back. Yeah. Right. And he lets her die. And he doesn't... I mean, he has to look away. He doesn't want to do it. Because he's fallen in love with her. Exactly. Which would never work. And he does that classic moment of Shatner drama where he's... He's, he's, he's all glass. <laughs> and he just goes... And he puts oh. his fingers in his mouth. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very Shatner moment. It is. It is. Well, so is the fact that he just tr pretty much tries to have sex with anything he encounters. <sighs> anything and everyone he encounters, regardless I, of the time period. Has has Shatner... Not Shatner. Has has Kirk ever gone to a therapist? Because he has this... I, I think this is a disorder that he falls in love with whoever he yeah. sees he in that did. episode. He did. Uh, but then he slept with her and it ruined everything. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. So Edith is crossing the street and there's a truck coming. And, and, and McCoy and Kirk are on the other side of the street, and they see the truck, and McCoy starts to, to, to run out to, like, push her out of the way, and Kirk stops him. And, and McCoy's like, why did you do that? And, and Kirk's like, well, in order to save the future, you know, Edith, Edith must die. And that's a, kind of a touching moment, because Kirk does love her, and he's very personally connected to her, and he has to sacrifice the woman he loves, at least for this episode, yes. to save the future. Again, and again, again. For the greater good, Yes. Uh, I, I think it is certainly worth noting, however, that in actual history, the Nazis did get very close to creating their own atom bomb. If they yes. had had more time... Uh, they were this, working on it, yes. This theoretical reality that was played out in the science fiction could have actually become well, reality. Yeah, they were also can, working on... Can I give on... you my, my time travel Hitler theory here? Sure, go for it. Yeah. So people go, oh, if you've been in a time machine, the first thing you do is you go back in time and you make yourself rich. Right? You get the lotto numbers, something like that. And like, well, now I should do something useful. I'm going to go back in time and kill Hitler. Right? And that's always, like, people say, like, if you got a time machine, that's what you should do. And so the, this theory is, my argument is, you shouldn't kill Hitler. Hitler. And, here, and here's why. So if you go back in time and you kill Hitler, what's going to happen is Germany is still very dissatisfied at the close of World War One and all right. the reparations they have to pay back. And they're having political turmoil and over, uh, economic turmoil. And what's going to happen is some sort of leader is going to arise to rebuild Germany and most likely be a military leader to take back the land they lost or gave up at the end of World War One, like the Polish Corridor and other things like that. So 
if and and the two main competing parties were, were the Nazi Party and the Communists, the, the Socialists, were right. competing for power. So if you kill Both. Hitler, yeah. then the most likely the Socialists raise to power, and they will align much more closely with the USSR. And so now I would argue that World War II would still happen. It was inevitable, waste the way the World War I closed, that World War II is going to happen whether or not Hitler rises to power. We talked about this in our yeah. other episode. It was well, really just one continuation me, of the yeah, same yeah. war. Let me just yeah, clarify yeah. here. So, so I, I would say that so the other thing is Hitler, late in the war, he's an idiot. He makes lots of bad tactical decisions. And as a result, the Nazis lose the war in a huge part by bad decisions on his part. Yeah. And if you don't have a, an idiot running the show, the war would go longer and Germany would develop long-range rockets Aircraft carriers and the atom and, bomb. And, and nuclear bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just to clarify something real quick here. I mean, the Nazi Party was initially the National Socialist Party of yes. Germany. Um, Jeremy's referring to more or less when he means socialist, he's referring more to the, the socialistic communist. Right, they're, they're more they're more affiliated with with Stalin at the time with with, with Marxist theory yeah, with, with that philosophy. Yes, I should, yeah. I should clarify that. Yeah, um, and you're right. And they're both two systems that have tended to adopt totalitarian. Uh, systems of government. So right. you're basically saying that the same thing would have happened under a different flag, basically. Right. And without an idiot running the show, or someone who was, who was very... Hitler Ziegler was very big. So he would say, we're going to attack this, we're going to do that, and he would overreach. And without someone making those tactical mistakes, uh, the, the Germany might have been much more successful in the war. And that would have been, been bad for history. Right. Ex indeed. Uh, it's an interesting theory. Yeah, and, and it's a great episode. Yeah. And if you want to watch an episode that's got a little bit of everything, this is kind of the episode for it. Yeah. Because uh, it's got the suspense element of it. It has that kind of mystery around it. You know eventually they're going to succeed in what they're trying to do, but you don't know exactly how they do it, which is kind of nice because some science fiction can get a little predictable. Even Star Trek can be a little predictable. So it's nice to have something that is kind of, uh, well, of course, if you're listening to this and then watching it, you, we already spoil it for you. But we hope that you stopped and listened to it. And now you're just agreeing with me. Yeah. It's very accessible if you're not a Star Trek fan. So yeah. It's yeah. just a good story. And just to, to even help people out, like say people have Netflix or Amazon Prime, uh, this is episode, sorry, this is season one, episode 29. Uh, Thank just, you. Yes. Is it 29 or 28? I think it's 29. 28. 29. 29? Okay. I just watched it this morning, I tell. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. But what, what what order was it produced in? Because that's how real fans watch it. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> the fair, it's easy to find. It's also... At one point, recently, it was on TV somewhere once a week because it was yeah. in syndication so much. Oh, yeah. As a good episode. It was just on all the time. Yeah, and it probably is somewhere. Um, well, go ahead. Yeah. Speaking of the original series, you know, they had a lot of other great adventures, many of which did involve time travel, okay? We had one that also took us back to, again, the 1960s. Uh, but I think their most iconic other trip through time is what uh, non-Star Trek fans refer to as the one with the whales. Uh, also called Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Gotcha. Which so is... we're still taking within the original series. Uh, continu yeah, continu exactly. Continu we're going to continue on with them for the moment. And I think, uh, you know, 1986 is when this film was released. It is Star Trek four. Star Trek four. It is probably the fan favorite next to Wrath of Khan in terms of the uh, in terms of the movie series themselves. It was a pretty good good movie. Yeah. Star Trek six was a better movie. But this one was more fun. And Star Trek had what they called the even and odd curse. Exactly. The odd numbered movies were terrible, and the even numbered movies were good. So two, four, which is the one we're going to talk about, uh -huh. and six. six and eight were all pretty good movies. Yeah. And then the next gen kind of broke the curse in a bad way <laughs> by having an even numbered movie that was also bad. Oh, and that, was, and that uh, ended the Genesis. Star Trek movie franchise. No, no, Nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah, Nemesis Sorry, kind of you. curtailed Star Trek in the box office until Sorry, JJ reboots it. At the end of that movie, 
It was less, it was it was as if I had drank a gallon of curdled milk. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to throw that. That's how that upset hard. I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, the voyage home was a welcome relief for a lot of reasons because the the three movies before it were all very serious films, right? The first one was essentially a 45-minute episode of Star Trek stretched out to be about two and a half hours. So that was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow for a lot of fans, uh, even though it actually grossed a huge amount of money regardless. Uh, Star Trek II, obviously amazing, but, you know, dramatic. Ricardo Montalban, lots of chest, uh, lots of Spock dying. Lots and of course, Khan! <laughs> lots of chest hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you have Star Trek Three, which was Nimoy's attempt to direct... A Star Trek movie, and it was okay. Uh, it brought Spock back. That's good, but it was again kind of serious and not the most thrilling. So what we really needed was something that recaptured the fun of the original series, like The Trouble with Tribbles and other iconic fun episodes. And that's what the Voyage Home is. the 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 most um, antagonistic protagonist in this movie is a enormous cylinder. Uh, so you don't really have a lot of bad guys getting in the way, right? You also have kind of a cranky uh, aquarium director. But other than that, there's really no bad guys. It's all just a lot of fun. Should we talk about the plot or just like the best moments from the, the movie? We'll give a brief overview. Here's the problem. Giant Cylinder comes to Earth, starts making a little sphere move. Little sphere move moving causes the entire atmosphere to begin to ionize and all sorts of problems ensue. So the solution? Whales. Obviously. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> well, the probe comes to Earth. It speaks whale. Right. They don't figure that out till later. It starts vaporizing the Earth's oceans, looking for whales. Like, where'd the whales go? And that starts messing up. You vaporize all the oceans. That's, that's, that's going to mess Earth up pretty bad. And so the, the crew of the Enterprise, they're on a stolen Klingon ship right. from Star Trek Three. comes back to Earth. They're in trouble. They're about to get court-martialed and sent to jail for life. We're stealing the Enterprise in the previous movie. So they're like, screw it. Let's just do whatever we Yeah, they're we like, well, we, we yeah. could save the planet. Whoa, we got nothing to lose. Let's let's give it a shot. Yeah. And so they they attempt to warp around the sun and go back in time. Because oh, they've got to go back in time to when whales are not extinct, because they're extinct in Star Trek times. Pick up a pair of whales and bring them to the future. A so breeding the, pair of whales. A breeding <laughs> pair of whales. So that the, uh, the whale probe can then hear whales and go away. And yes. I know it sounds ridiculous, and it kind of is, but it works so well. It's just such a good. They movie. couldn't just record, uh, or they couldn't just like emulate the sound of a whale, and like apparently the whale probe is smart enough. You got to have genuine, genuine whales, <laughs> yeah. oh, <laughs> and wow. they have to specifically be named uh, Gracie and uh, what was the other one? Will George? 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 George. Yeah, Gracie. reference to George. Uh, wow, why am I drawing the honeymooners? Here? The honeymooners? No, 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 not honeymooners. No, it's um. <clears throat> What's George and Gracie? George and Gracie, Gracie Allen and George, uh, George Burns. Burns. Oh, okay. I, I did not catch that. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was the Honeymooners for some reason. No, Honeymooners would have been Ralph Cramden and oh, that's uh, right. Alice. Thank you, Brian. Yes. To the moon! <coughs> to the moon, Alice! <laughs> exactly. Or in this case, to we'll the giant probe. It's got one of the best lines ever. There be whales here. Yeah, they be whales yeah. here is pretty. Also, double dumbass on you is probably my favorite. I, I, double I think Star Trek Four has some of the best lines of all the movies. It's, good. it's got yeah. a lot of them. And it's also, I mean, I gotta say, it's kind of cool. It's the last one where Kirk is an admiral within the uh, Star yes, Trek, yeah. right? Right? Yeah. Right? Because he gets demoted at the end of the movie. He, he becomes does. and uh, Spock he gets what was he captain wants, at that point. As he well. had already been captain for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, but and all this happens, they all get demoted, right? Because it's not. No, it actually, Spock gets to still be a captain because it's not Spock's fault that he was dead. Okay. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> or brought back to life. Or brought back to life, yeah, for that yeah, matter. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole point is, though, they go back to the 1980s, 
And it's just so much fun watching them romp around in 1980s. It's very know. entertaining. There's, uh, there's things yeah. like they're on a bus and this punk rocker is playing loud, obnoxious music. You know, it's very loud 80s punk rock music. And everybody on the bus is like looking at this guy and asking him to turn it down. He's like, no, screw you. And so and he the flips him like, off. Yeah. And so he flips him off. And so then Spock does a nerf pinch on him. Uh-huh. And he blacks out and his head hits the boombox and turns it off. And the everybody on the bus, bus is like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's also some bit, I can't remember where, uh, they're in a hospital and there's yes. an old woman oh, yeah, who's yeah. got this crippling disease who, which we don't have she, the cure she, for she's on kidney dialysis right yeah, she has right. kidney failure yeah and, and mccoy asked her what's wrong with you she goes kidney dialysis <laughs> he's he like goes, what is this the dark ages <laughs> <laughs> and he just injects her with some or not even injects well, her, gives her a pill. pill yeah gives her a pill and then all of a sudden she's all better <laughs> she grows a new kidney <laughs> <laughs> the pill grows the kidney and and, and and you see later a later scene and they're like she's got a new kidney and she's fine and she's like woo <laughs> which is great my, my father has a, a kidney transplant oh, and so wow. that's a, that's a scene of you know again we talk about Rod Mary's hope for the future. That's a very hopeful scene that you for can anybody. Re- that with a single pill, you can regenerate your organs. Yeah, exactly. That that yeah. you know that in the future we could do that. Well, I wanted to include this one on the list because even though it was at the time it was aired, it was the 1980s. I mean, they were just shooting right. on location in San Francisco. But uh, when I was watching it as an older child, it wasn't the 1980s any longer. It was the 1990s, and so I was seeing history in my from my viewpoint at that it, point. It and is, we all are. Now. It is historical. The, other, the historical thing is. Chekhov is is tasked to, to repair the Klingon ship. They've got to steal some like radiation from nuclear vessels. So, yeah, from, from a nuclear reactor, and so they 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 break into like a navy ship uh-huh. and steal radiation from the reactor. But but Chekhov is Russian, and in the eighties, this is the height of the Cold War. Right. So the technological yeah. peak, peak of the Cold War, and so the navy catches him. And he's and he's a Russian, so he's automatically an enemy, their mortal enemy, and and he's not aware of that because he's time traveled from the future, and so that it's very historical context in, in terms of the, the the Cold War, giving you a little insight into that that right. conflict. And of course, want to reemphasize, of course, the whole crew of the Enterprise was Roddenberry's ideal future, where it didn't matter who you were or where you came from, right? You could all work together, right? Chekhov right. being uh, the Uhura, the right, alien, the, yeah, right, exactly. Of course. Uh, Sulu, Sulu, right? yep. You know, you have every different ethnicity. Yeah, you got a Scotsman on board. You got exactly. Everything. You have uh, in under one roof. It's very Ooh. contemporary because they want to save the whales. It was a big theme at the time. Yep. And uh, they talk about LSD. Exactly. Kirk uses it as an yep. excuse for Spock's bad behavior. Uh-huh. Says, oh, I think he took too much DLS. DLS in the sixties. <laughs> yeah. Right. And LSD was a popular drug at the time. People were dropping acid and trying things. So it's it's very much a reflection of that time period in the 80s yeah and it's it, it, it's a fun adventure like we said um now it's a nice 1980s time capsule yeah I, I would like to point out one more thing so they they also have to build a tank for the whales right to get them the, to put them in the clinic ship in the future and so so they go and they're like well how are we going to do this and they they, they go with this a, a basically a manufacturer a metal manufacturer uh-huh. and they need to build this tank and what they really need is something that doesn't exist. They need transparent aluminum. Right. And so McCoy and Scotty are standing here. Well, we got to tell this guy how to make transparent aluminum. But won't that mess up history? And 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 McCoy's like, well, how do we know this guy didn't invent that? And Scotty's like, oh, good enough for me. I yeah, like that exactly. <laughs> and it's one of the best scenes of the movie because he goes up to this Mac Plus. <laughs> yeah, the Mac on there, computer. and he's like, computer. <laughs> Hello, computer. He's like. Use the mouse. And he picks up he's the like, mouse and starts talking to the mouse. He's like, he, he, first he goes, oh, how quaint. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a, that's afterwards when he tells him to oh, use okay. the keyboard. He's like, pick up the mouse. And he's, he starts talking. And he's like, just, just use the keyboard. 
Oh, how quaint. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and, and he cracks his knuckle and, and types away. I love that, that Scotty can type, right? Yeah. I think, I think that's logical for his character, being an engineer that knows lots of equipment. Scotty prides himself on older equipment, too. Uh-huh. And he, he gets to this old machine, and he immediately can operate it. And I thought that, that was a great little touch of how brilliant of an engineer Scotty is, that he understands, once he realizes what era he's in, right. the, the, the right interface for that. Or an amazing piece of marketing for Apple. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, product so easy. Easy. <laughs> a man from the future can figure it out, yeah. this ancient piece of crap. <laughs> now, speaking of Apple, uh, now transparent aluminum exists. Yeah, it's well, kind of. Isn't transparent kinda. iron? Go- Gorilla Glass, which we all use on our smartphones, oh. whether it's an iPhone or a Samsung phone, or every phone that uses Gorilla Glass, Gorilla Glass is it's glass influ- infused with aluminum. That's what makes it stronger. So Gorilla Glass is, in effect, a variant of transparent aluminum. So it now exists. I can thank Scotty for (laughs) my iPhone. Even more so than not scratch, you know, because it has Gorilla Glass. You you can thank Star Trek for that. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, shall we move on to the next episode? Sure. Uh, We have to, yeah. Because we're talking about San Francisco, right? Talking about San Francisco and... I gotta say, of the episodes we watched in preparation for this, these two were my favorite, uh, which is oh, really? the, two, the, right. the two-parter times Arrow, to be more specific. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, season five's finale. I think it's episode 20... Season five and season six. So it's the season yes. five finale and the season, and season six, six opener. opener, right? Yeah. Which is the, a very common thing that TNG did. They did they did cliffhangers across the, the seasons. So uh, I can't remember which episode it is in episode five, but it is... Uh, it is episode 26. 26, okay, thank you. And then season six, episode one. Yeah. Uh, really cool, because they're on the planet... Uh, you had to help me out here. It's... it's uh, I can't get the exact... Davidia 2 Thank or you. something yeah. like that? Davidia yeah, yeah, yeah. 2. It doesn't really matter. I think it's NVIDIA. No, no, sorry. No, no, no <laughs> NVIDIA. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some planet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were having an issue with their graphics card. Uh, <laughs> it's an Apple joke. Um, for the Mac nerds out there. Anyway, <clears throat> so they were on Davidia 2, and they find... Uh, this is, of course, the crew of the Enterprise, uh, and they happen to find, weirdly enough, they find Data's head. Right. Uh, disembodied head. Uh, and when LaForge is analyzing it, he says, this is 500 years old. Uh, and which at this point, because we're talking about uh, the 24th century, whereas the original right. series is 22nd century. So somehow we basically, they, they postulate that Data says, somehow I get brought back to the 19th century where I'm killed. And he's actually okay with it. Sure. Everyone else is having the problem with it, but he Everyone's doesn't have any emotions. Like, so he doesn't care. He's just like, this just means I'm more human. It means I'm right. mortal. Which I thought it was like, that's really like... That's actually kind of cool. I, that, to me, was very, a very spiritual element to the show. Well, that, that Data's whole we, journey is like that. Yeah. They find Data's head on Earth. There's right. an archaeological dig. They find his head on Earth. Right. And the clues from that lead them to Davidia. Right. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. Thank you for clarifying Starfleet that. Starfleet calls and says, hey, guess what we found? Yeah, yes. we, yeah. we found something you should come see. We're Correct. building the new uh, spa at, his, <laughs> at Starfleet headquarters. We which which happens, to, and Starfleet headquarters happens to be based where the Presidio was. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, yeah, in true. San Francisco, right? That's the... Uh, the Federation's <clears throat> hotspot. So anyway, uh, and so what ends up happening is through uh, a, a ch- chain of events, Data is transported back uh, through time as he's trying to communicate with these, what he finds out are these sentient beings uh, who are existing in the same space, but not at the same time. Right. Uh, and Troya is, not Troya, is, uh, Troy, Troy is there. Troy being that she's a Betazoid, she has the ability to sense... She has certain, a headache. Yes, she has a headache. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
if she just got a couple bare aspirin, she would never. The, but then they would never find anything. <laughs> right. Apparently, space aspirin does not work right. very well. <laughs> but just just to catch up to people who are not super into TNG. Uh, so Troy is a, is half human, half Betazoid. So that means that she's teleempathic. She yeah. doesn't. She can't right. read thoughts. She can read feelings. Right. So she she detected human fear uh, when they were at uh, Davidia Two. And to clarify, she can read thoughts from other Betazoids, but she doesn't have the same abilities. Anyway, correct. Someone who's a full Betazoid can can right. read thoughts from anybody, right? And and their feelings as now, well. That got pretty deep nerd right there. Yeah, I <laughs> had to clarify. If I want to clarify even further, there are also certain species that Betazoids can't read. But so, hey, go okay. ahead. So, so like folks, when I say that I am a Trekoid. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. I am not just a, an enthusiast. I do know some of my shit. You do. And you know what? I'm just giving you shit, but I, I, but you, sir, are making an amazing progress, I just have to say. As an actor, you can... I, I would argue that Star Trek TNG is a, is a very well-written and well-acted show for most of its run. There, oh, there are some yeah. bad stuff, too. Because you got some amazing theater actors... You, you who, do. ...who choose scenery on this show. And I mean choose scenery in a good way. Yeah. Um, so as a, as a film buff and as an actor, you can watch the show, not be familiar with the franchise, and say, well, this is a good story with good actors. And this is, you know, it's a well-made... Exactly. It's a well-made production. Right. Um, so... Essentially, Data being the Spock of this series, being the even though he's not a science officer, or is he a science officer? He's a little bit of everything. He's a little bit of everything. TNG doesn't really have a science officer. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the weirdest thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's always like Geordi, Data, Worf. Some combination has to solve all the science problems. They don't right. like it's, like it's like missing. They don't have a science guy. It's really fun. Right. So Data is kind of all the, and LaForge are kind of both those things. So uh, basically, Data concocts a device that will try to communicate and try to try to uh, understand what's going on with these creatures who are humanoid kind of except they have this giant hole in their foreheads right and they don't talk uh unless well they, i guess they talk through thoughts or whatever um and in the process there's interference and they lose him and what we end up seeing is we end up seeing data waking up in uh late 19th century in san francisco 1893 to be specific exactly what i love about this is that at that point in time Two key literary authors were living in San Francisco. Uh, one is uh, the 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 major part of the show is Samuel Clevens, otherwise known as Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. uh, played pretty well, I would say, and amazingly, guy, yeah, guy looks a lot like him too. He also plays Deep Throat in uh, X Files. The, uh, is that the same guy? It's the same guy. Oh my wow. god! So, I didn't so, realize that. That's a hell of a nose job, because I gotta say, because that prosthetic nose they put on him, because Mark Twain had a very distinct, and they, they were, he was one of the authors that existed around the time of early photography, right? So he, we knew what he, we knew exactly what he looks like. Yeah, Jerry Harden is Thank the you. name of the actor. <clears throat> yeah, a fantastic makeup job, because he looked just like Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. uh, so, right on. And, uh... What ends up happening, and of course the other one we haven't talked about yet is Jack London. Jack London, who yeah. is much a much younger Jack London, who's working as a bellhop uh, in this hotel that Data ends up. He's kind of like Data's sidekick. Yes, basically, he's like his Robin. Yeah. <laughs> so so Data is. Uh, very in a very uh, Doc Brown sort of way, he's trying to concoct a device <laughs> to read the temporal rifts using 19th century technology. Uh, all the while, everyone on the Enterprise is freaking out. It's like, what, what, what do we do with data? We gotta get data back. And finally, they figure out LaForge concocts a way to get the crew uh, of the Enterprise to go and get him back as a rescue mission. Finally, though, what I forgot to mention to make this all kind of come full circle. <clears throat> uh, Picard happens to be in the bar. Of course, any good starship has a uh, place where you can drink. Ten forward. 
10 forward, uh, where we come across Guinan, who is the... Uh, He's played the, by Whippy Goldberg. Yes, thank you. Amazing actress. <coughs> I've always loved her as Guinan. Whippy Goldberg's a big Star Trek yeah. fan. Oh, yeah. And she was not originally part of the TNG. And, and when, when, when uh, Next Generation went on the air, she saw the show. She liked it. She called up the producers. She's yeah. like, I want to be on the show. Write me a character. And so they wrote Guinan to get her on the show because she was a big fan as, as a favor as her. And yeah, she came into season character. three and it just continued to represent that part of the franchise for so long right through generations and she's great amazing. so what we what we know about Guinan I know you guys know more about her than I do but she essentially is she's an Alarian who who can live for an extraordinarily yeah, long so, amount of time she's centuries old yeah, yeah but she looks like a normal human you would not know that she's from a, another species um so what ends up happening is Guinan is living in San, San Francisco, Francisco 1893 and so Data meets up with her, and he says, "Well, you don't. I guess you don't really know me, but I'm. We we weren't on a ship together." And uh, he he tries he kinda, to be kind of goes, "Oh, like a clipper ship?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I don't know if that's I, the part that I didn't understand is if that was was that supposed to be a cover so that people wouldn't like ask questions, or did she, she didn't want anyone to know that she's an alien? Got it. Right. And she particularly did not want Mark Twain to know that she was an alien because yeah, Mark Twain's been, a little paranoid. Yeah, because he's already been snooping around, snooping around, harassing people, trying to figure out his next story. Uh, and she's this very mysterious guy, and he keeps calling her that, the mysterious Madam guy. Madam Gannon. Yeah. Yeah. Madam yeah. Gannon. Yeah. Not, yeah. not to mention that the one thing I think that stands out like a sore thumb in this episode, but it, but rightfully so, though, is that Guinan is African-American, or that she and she's this uh, you know, social, wealthy socialite. Yeah. Now, granted, California is very progressive. It wasn't always that progressive, and it certainly wasn't that progressive in the late 19th century. So um, I think that's probably the allure that draws Twain to her. Now, Twain, of course, was never... Uh, a fan of prejudice. He that's what the whole Huck Finn right. stories yep. were, and Tom mm-hmm. story were about. He was writing against that those issues. Um so that's probably the allure that adds this unspoken element to the drama. Um and uh, to make a long story short, Twain basically finds out where where Data and Guinan are from and now he has this very dystopian mindset. Oh, these these are coming from these are people coming from the future. They plan to invade us. Right. You no, know, the the immediately, you know, succumbing to fear. Yes. Yeah, and he's going to defend the past from them. And there's a lot of reason for this, because throughout the whole episode, we also have this other mysterious going-ons, which is guys dying cholera. Cholera, exactly. Cholera outbreak, which I did a little research, ladies and gentlemen, there was no cholera outbreak in San Francisco in 1893. There was in in 1850, there was a rather serious cholera outbreak, and there was a cholera outbreak in 1894 in New York City. But there was not one in San Francisco. I was very disappointed. I was hoping but, the writers of Star Trek had actually found their. I'm going to defend them length. here. I'm going to defend them here. All right. So the Davidians, the aliens, were the villains in this episode. They use their technology to travel back in time and and kill and harvest other organic right. people and then feed their people that way. Yes, they feed off of the neuro um, energy, the neural the neuro pathway energy of human beings. They're kind of like space vampire things. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, they suck the mental energy out of your body and then essentially leave you as a husk of a human being. And so. with a cool effect for the time that the people turn gray when they get like harvested. Right. They, they do it with this little snake cane. It looks it looks pretty cool. And the snake cane is a little fugly because I mean it looks. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean I mean it is. Because when they're in the shape, so the, I forgot to mention that these Davidians are also shapeshifters. So when they when they are right in they, the 1890s, they appear, human. they appear human. And this guy's got this white snake cane. But when they see them in a true form, it's this fugly looking snake that, that, <laughs> that growls at you, and its head whips around. <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 kind of they, so, go, so they like, travel back in time to yeah. to periods of time where lots of people are dying. Right. So the people they kill can be excused as deaths. Now right. I, I'm going to argue they're not killing that many people. 
So some people would die of cholera naturally, street people and stuff like that. And so they're they're careful not to get caught. So they're not killing so many people as to, to be an epidemic, but just enough to be plausible for cholera. All going right, fair enough. But I will also say that Jack London, uh, I can't find any reference of him actually being a bellhop at that time. Oh. He was in <laughs> Oakland at that time. He wasn't in San Francisco oh as far God, as I can tell, dude. but he was not a bellhop. Do you see That's this, folks? Uh, Oakland, Oakland and San Francisco are pretty far apart, especially in those days. It took yeah, you a while. You didn't have a Bay Bridge. There's, there's, there's no bridges, right? Yeah. That's pretty far if apart. Only, folks. If only the Emperor, uh, Emperor Napoleon, had his way. Uh, was it Napoleon? <laughs> Emperor Norton. Norton, that's right. Emperor Emperor Norton. Sorry, the, the other Napoleon, the real Emperor. Uh, yeah, if only Norton had his way, then we would have had a bridge. But right. Yeah. We'll talk about Emperor Norton in another episode. We have but, it in the past. Folks, I will say that Eric is so scrupulous, he can even split hairs. You see that? So there we go. In a fictional show. In a, in a fictional, fictional show. show. <laughs> well, obviously. So, More so in fiction than reality. Does it really matter? I mean... It doesn't matter per se, but this is history. Nerds on history. So I yes, want to... This is also incorporate historical fiction. Yes. So it's the semblance of history. So... But I will say, remember, this is uh, San Francisco pre-1906. So pre the Great Fire. And, and, and yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. so good. It looks like pre 1906 they did a good San job. Yeah. and what i love too so when finally the crew makes it back and so the one other thing i forgot to mention is that guinan from the future from, or from the present i should say tells picard you have to go in this rescue mission right. because if because if you don't we will never meet and she can't that's all she can say and, and she has a really cool moment when she does this she's the bartender yeah. and she uses this evaporating drink yeah. and does mm-hmm. this whole setup where she convinces picard he has to go on this mission because in uh, the, the captain is not normally allowed to go on an away mission especially a dangerous one he has to go on this one otherwise they will never meet and time will be screwed up and so what ends up happening is because he and Riker on it he ends up leaving uh wharf in command of the enterprise kind of cool one of the few times that i think wharf is acting captain uh, in the series. So um, they go back. And one of the things I love is that. So they. The Enterprise crew is totally prepared. They come back with costumes. And they have a whole cover. Like Riker's working as a police officer. Jordy takes his visor off and puts on sunglasses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember that. Exactly. It's awesome. Um, Crusher is working as a nurse. Uh, in like a. In a hospital where there's been cholera outbreaks. So right, like, right. they've got their crap together. Like they are. They are on it. Right. What Legit. I love is they've got Picard working as a maintenance man, and he's fixing the gas burners. And like, why are you fixing the burners? He said, oh, well, uh, new new regulation for the ordinance in case of an earthquake. And uh-huh. the, guy, the guy's like, there hasn't been an earthquake here in 30 years. I'm <laughs> 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 just like, oh, you dumbass. <laughs> There's something else, though, that you... That's, that's great, a good That's a great, that's a great shout out, by the way. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even think to catch that. That's fantastic. Yeah. But uh, Brian, watching this episode for the first time earlier today, texted me. I want to read his text message on air because it's hilarious. He says, Picard is a, a sick excuse for a human being. Preying on the acting career hopes of an Irish woman. Has he no decency? Right. Because one of the covers is there's this woman named Mrs. Carmichael who runs this boarding house that's in San Francisco, of course. And uh, they're they're basically trying to get through and they haven't paid rent at all. Which, another thing, like, thankfully, they, they, they tie that loosened up at the very, very end. Apparently, Mark Twain... Clement covers say, it all. Yeah. covers covers the expenses, but otherwise, like wow, you Starfleet guys. I understand there's no currency where you come from, but seriously, you guys are a bunch of cheapskates. They don't even think about it. They they, yeah, they, they, they they can't pay rent, Kirk so they couldn't even pay for dinner. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. With Edith, they can't <laughs> right. pay for dinner, <laughs> so they keep. Oh, tell, she, oh, so she what? assumes he's a bum. But here's yeah, the because he's, he's without any money. Too. What I love is that Picard, <laughs> being the natural actor that he is, or. Stuart being the natural actor he is, he says, oh, we're an acting troupe and we're working on A Midsummer Night's Dream. So it, to the point where like everyone's like, really? 
uh, all right to the point now that that's their cover when yeah. Carmichael's coming in the room they yeah. all grab scripts and they start rehearsing from they start rehearsing from and they use that as a decoy to get Mrs. Carmichael to stop asking about rent and they make her be Titania uh, against Picard's Oberon in this bit and it's just like and she was all like excited that she got to be in a play and I'm just like you heartless asshole <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she thinks she's gonna go to like because here's the thing San Francisco at this point in time rivaled New York for its quality of theatrical production. It was considered the Paris of the West. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like there's an actual hope here that she could be a legit like stage actress, and her dreams are squandered. Okay, you're 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 like giving me crap for splitting hairs. Look how passionate <laughs> you're getting about this right now. Just want to point Sympathy that out. Sympathy for actress here. So uh, just to finish this part of the this, this is pre equity, man. This is just this is just heinous. Can, can, heinous I, can I share one more thing that I really like about this episode? All right, then I'll bring it home. When 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 Data gets there, he gets to the past. He wakes up in the past. He's been gone through this time portal, shot into the past. He gets there. He's in his his Star Trek uniform. He has like nothing with him. And he realizes he's a Frenchman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why he looks so weird. (laughs) Like, oh yeah. People totally buy it too. Like, yeah, it seems seems plausible. The French aristocracy of the time painted their faces so white they would have looked like Data. That that's that's true. I didn't think about that. So the uh, so so Data realizes he has to gather some resources in order to 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 uh, gain a position to try to get himself back there. And so what does he do? He finds out there's a poker game. Right. And he goes now Data's very honest. He doesn't he can't lie or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So he goes to this poker game and he bets his com badge, which is made of gold, the only thing of value he has on him. He realizes that in this case, he has to cheat in order to win. So he cleans out these poker guys <laughs> using true. his Android skills. And I, it's I a great how he moment. walks away with a yeah. Native American's hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the big, and the, the rich man's vest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will clarify what I just said. I guess the French aristocracy at that time didn't really exist. So they wouldn't have been wearing white face paint. Oh, yeah, that would have been, that would have been they're, earlier. They're all dead. No, 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 no they, they just think he's an albino, basically. Right, right, they exactly. even said that later on. Hey, my great uncle Gus... Is an albino. Was the except, only albino at that time in history, however, living in that part of the except, United States. Except the albinos don't have black hair. So. All right, fair enough. Um, anyway, moving on. Let me help bring... So, so you're going to say to bring home. So yeah. speaking of the past and white people or people who are excessively pale and stealing from Native Americans and race relations in the past, does Star Trek cover that ground again? It does, but I think we just... I think we've kind of run out of time for it because I think we're going to have to cover that in our next episode. Just like how Time Zero ends on a cliffhanger, so does this episode. It folks. does. It does. So, Just tune right. in next week right. for, As we, for yeah. more about Time Zero. Normally we do listener feedback at this point, but we're actually, I think we're going to go ahead and skip that um, and we'll save it for the next episode. But if you do like giving us feedback, please, by all means, go to neurodonomy.com and click on that talk to us button. You can also, of course, follow us on our social media at both Facebook and Twitter at Nerdonomy. Also now Instagram. And tell me, Eric, what else can they do when they go to neuronomy.com? Uh Well, of course, you could leave a little bit of gold press latinum if you are uh, so inclined, if you have a little extra uh, credits laying around. Uh, what can they really do? Come on. Uh, give us a donation, please. We need money. <laughs> yes, uh, indeed. Not all of you out there are Aunt Teresa's. However, and by the way, Aunt Teresa, you already know, we love you so much. Aunt Teresa, can we say how much she gave us or... Should we say how much she gave you us? Know, she gave us a sizable amount of money. Let's just say she gave us a sizable amount of money. And we're getting a roof, people. <laughs> we are. We're getting a ceiling, finally. And uh, it just means so much to us, everyone here at Nerdonomy. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you, because it's a huge boost to keep us going and to make sure that we can keep producing content. And I love you to death. You already knew that. But, uh, you know, thank you. 
from the bottom of our hearts. Yes, and of course, if you do have more money to spare, you can also sign up for our Audible uh, sure affiliation, which you can do by on by going to our desktop version of our site and clicking on the uh, the audible.com link. If you are listening to us from a mobile device, you go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy, and we can... You can help us out by doing a free trial, and we get a commission off of that. So thank you very much. So we can right. wa- afford to watch Star Trek episodes on our TV instead of just in his head. Exactly. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, folks, it is that time until we meet again. Stay nerdy. So tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye-bye. Uh, guys. Shh. Oh, well. Can I watch? No. no.